This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have with me Brittany and Jonathan of the Skeptic and the Seeker podcast. Did I get the order there right? Strange stories with the seeker and the skeptic. Oh, okay. Strange. Okay. You're you're under a different name. Are you under a different name on the Patreon? Is it seeker and? I, uh, I didn't think so, but oh. I, I could have okay. done it backwards. Then it's then it's my memory that's bad, which is not surprising. Anyway, <laughs> yes, you've been doing this podcast now for how long? We started in well, we started releasing episodes in September. Um, we started recording them this August. Oh, okay. So did you have a bunch ready to go by the time you started? Yes. Yeah, we, we made a point to try to, to create a little bit of backlog just in case. Uh, we, we weren't really sure what response was going to be when we were trying to get people to talk to us. So yeah. we tried to front load as much as possible. Turned out that was not a concern we should have had, which has been pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> we've got lots of stuff in the can ready to go. Good, good. Uh, and both of you have had a different array of experiences. But before we get to that, uh, what like t- t- talk about the whole the name of it and what that means, the skeptic seeker part. Uh, well, uh, when it when it really com- comes down to it, even though we both have had throughout our lives uh, quite a lot of what would be considered strangeness type experiences, uh, we kind of view these things in different under different lenses. Um, you know, she's more of a, basically a lifetime seeker. You know, she, she has, and she can talk more about that herself. But personally, um, myself as, as a skeptic, uh, my thought process is, you know, if someone's had an experience, they've had an experience. I'm not here to say that they have not, mm-hmm. but I feel like we, and, and like humans, we being humans, uh, jump to conclusions way too fast most of the time. If somebody sees a strange light in the sky, they decide it's a nuts and bolts UFO from some other planet. If right. someone sees someone something walking through their home in the in the dark, it's Aunt Gertrude looking for her tuna casserole. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I fully agree with that. You know, jumping jumping to conclusions, trying to slam everything into small boxes is not the way forward. So Brittany, what about your side of things? Well, I consider myself to be a spiritual seeker. So that's where the seeker comes in for me. Um, I've just been on a journey uh, for the past decade or so, just trying to get in touch with myself, my authentic self. Um, I'm a Reiki practitioner, so energy work is really important to me. Um, And I have had a, a range of weird and strange experiences throughout my lifetime. Um, and I definitely am similar to Jonathan in terms of I, I I want more answers. I like to ask questions, but a lot of the times I'm seeking within myself. I'm kind of, he does more of like, I would say like the external exploration where yeah. he's, you know, he's doing a lot of research. He's reading a lot of books. And my exploration is really like I meditate and I <laughs> connect with spiritual <laughs> guides and 
you know, I do energy work and, and that type of stuff. So that's kind of where I see the difference between the two of us. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's a good balance, I think. Yeah, works pretty well for us. <laughs> um, so as far as experiences go, um, have one of you had like a ton and the other not as many? Or is it pretty, pretty evenly distributed throughout your lives? For me, um, there. So I, I grew up in a, in a town called Lumberton, North Carolina. It's in the middle of Southern North Carolina. It's very rural, uh, very uh, poverty heavy. You know, state maintained dirt roads, stuff like mm. that. At least in the eighties and nineties, it was. I don't know as much now, really. Um, but um, a story that maybe I haven't told. I, I don't believe in the podcast, at least not yet. Is uh, the the house we lived in the longest was about four years. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. We kept getting woken up in the middle of the night by footsteps going up and down the hallway. Um, a lot of times at three, 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone would ring, and my mom would wake up and go to the phone, and there would be no one there, or there would be someone screaming at her. But you know, there was no way of knowing who it was. It was also the late 80s, early 90s, so caller ID wasn't really super prevalent. You know, So it was always kind of a grab bag anyway, back there yeah. on the phone. Um, but there were... Times when you know we we would hear people talking that weren't in the house, and this went on the whole time that we lived in this house. And if you fast forward to a couple of months ago, I joined a Facebook group about f- four people who used to live in that town back in the day, and I did a, a post asking about the neighborhood I lived in, if anyone had experienced any weird things. I was trying to gather, uh, trying to get somebody to maybe come on the podcast, you know, from yeah. my old hometown. And a lady was on there and started talking about experiences she had in that neighborhood. And then she gave the address of the house and it was the house I grew up in. And (laughs) all of the things she mentioned in her post were the same things that happened to us when I was a kid. And she lived there 10 years later. Wow. That's really cool, actually. And I explained to her that we experienced the same thing. And she said, thank you very much, because that that validates that I'm not crazy. She said that people had told her for years that she was losing her mind. Of course. And, you know, yeah, exactly. And, but now she, she has the ability to say, Hey, you know, someone else experienced that. And how do, how do you view that phenomenon? Like at the time, what, what did you think was going on? Well, uh, at the time, my parents were involved in a church that I would, um, it, I think that the easiest way to describe it would be a, a benign Christian cult. Okay. Um, they, they had their own beliefs on things, but they weren't like, you know, there, there were no AK-47s. This wasn't like a, a, they weren't dangerous people, but they had very narrow, specific views. Okay. And so they had some weird ideas of some spiritual, quote, stuff that, you know, when you're a kid, you, you, you're around the things your parents are into, so you it kind of bleeds into you too. So we thought it was maybe demons or something. We weren't really sure, but it terrified us. All the time. Well, I would think especially the 3 a.m. phone calls would be would be a creepy thing to get. Absolutely. And you said um, sometimes someone would be screaming? Yeah, there was a couple times when, um, and, and one time, I'm, I think my mom even still remembers this, well, 30 years later. Um, one time there was a voice that she didn't quite recognize that kept saying, Chris, which my mom's name is Chris. Chris, Chris, it's, it's John. Well, she has a brother named John, so she thought something was wrong with her younger brother. And she, you know, and the line went dead and she called his number also three o'clock in the morning still. So she woke him up out of a dead sleep and he's like, what is wrong with you? I'm asleep. I'm at home. Everything is fine. She's like, well, I just heard someone on the phone saying this. He's like, you dreamt it. Go to sleep. And he hung up the phone. Everything was okay. 
but you know she that she talked about that for years like it really messed with her wow yeah i can imagine that would be something that would be concerning above all else that you know uh something could be happening to a loved one and then just to have them sure. dismiss it yeah uh, so so what about you Brittany? where where do your experiences start um, I also grew up in a strange house. Um, <laughs> it really started with my sister. Um, we, we say that she's haunted. I think she's kind of, I think the universe wants her to be a medium, <laughs> um, because wherever she goes, there is spiritual activity. Um, so when she was younger, she would tell my parents about this little green girl that was in her bedroom. And it was just like this little girl sitting by her nightlight and her, her walls were painted green. So that's why she looked green and she was kind of translucent and she would just see her sitting there. Sometimes she'd be like reading a book or something like that. So she had told my parents about that. My parents thought she was reading scary stories. They kind of shut her down. And so she repressed it for a really long time until she was an, a teenager. And then weird things started happening that none of us could deny. And that's when I first started experiencing things that I remember, at least. Mm -hmm. um, so saw shadow figures a lot. I would wake up um, and have like whispering in my ear, um, would hear footsteps. <laughs> I remember like hearing like my room was next to like our our family office and i would hear like typing on the keyboard mm. thinking my dad was up and so like i'd go check and he was sleeping in his bedroom there was nobody in there um like little like animal like shadows so that happened a lot <laughs> um like i said really became more prevalent when my sister and i were adolescents um, and it kind of gets more quiet when my sister is not around, but I had to move back in with my parents for a short period of time after I left with my ex-husband a couple of years ago. And so when I was living there, like I definitely experienced a lot of things, you know, I would hear movement in my room, you know, I'd feel coldness and, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of where my strange experiences started. Oh. Now you said uh, shadow animals. Yeah. I mean, it would be like a little like <laughs> shadow that was like looked like it would be you know a cat or a dog. Like it would be that size, that low to the ground type of thing, and you just kind of see them like zoom across the hallway or you know just yeah. appear and then disappear very quickly. I, I used to see them darting across the road a lot at one point, mm. and uh, I, I've rarely come across anyone else who's had that experience. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever seen them in the house, but it was usually out. I was usually outside when I would see them, and I don't see them anymore. I have no idea why. Yeah, but it's just one of those things. And th and to me, that also says that I was actually seeing something because if I was imagining it, I would probably still be imagining it. Right. Yep. So, um, so uh, what other kinds of things have you you both experienced? Uh, we'll go back to Jonathan for this one. Oh uh, well, you know, um, I. Throughout my life, um, lucid dreaming has kind of been a big part of how my brain kind of works in, in a way. Uh, when I was in my late teens, like 19 to, to like 22, 23, um, I used to suffer from sleep paralysis like mm. a lot. And I tried a bunch of different things to try to get out of that. And I did finally develop something uh, that I'm able to do. If it ever did come back, I would have a way around it. I was able to, to break through that. But I had been told at the time in my, you know, when I was 19 or so, maybe 20, 
that if you can if you can learn to lucid dream, it'll snap you out of sleep paralysis. Well, for me, that wasn't true. Maybe that's been, that's helpful for other people. And if that works for you, great, because sleep paralysis is one of the scariest things that can happen to you. Yes, you want it's the most helpless feeling I've ever felt in my life. And you just don't ever know if you're going to get out of it. Even if your brain tells you you'll get out of it, you don't know. Yeah. And so I, 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 there was, there are some really simple things that you can do that works for a lot of people and did work for me to, to, to get yourself, your brain ready for lucid dreaming. And that worked really well for me. And after a little while of that, I started to have dreams that had a very different quality to them. And they have occurred often on throughout my life. They've always felt very connected and there, there's a, a sense of presence and place that I don't really have a way to explain adequately that is only there for me in those dreams. And the first dream I had like that was when I was, I think, 21. Um, and it, 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 the setting, it definitely was in somewhere in southwest Virginia in the mountains, which is where I was at the time, but it wasn't where I was. And to my knowledge, it's not a real house. But it felt okay. like a real house. Is a large, like three-story mansion-type house made of stone, and I walk up to the door, and the door has numbers on it. I don't know what the numbers are; I just know they're numbers. And I walk in, and there's a man there who I've never seen in real life, but who knew who I was, and I knew that I knew him. And he looked at me and said, "This is reality. This is what's really happening, and you're here now." And that's the end of the dream. But that started a series of dreams, and I'm that was I'm 42 now, so this has been going on for 20 years, mm-hmm. and started a series of dreams that have gone on off and on throughout my life during the times when I have pursued strangeness, I've pursued the things, the parts of my life, because I I have had multi-year stresses in my life where I have kind of suppressed that part of who I am, and those have been the worst parts of my life, to be really honest with you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you get ideas in your head of how things are supposed to be and how you're supposed to do things. And even if evidence starts to, you know, kind of pile up otherwise, there's something, you know, for me at least in, in your head that's just kind of like, well, you've committed to these things and it, it doesn't need to be that way. And then, you know, recently because of some initiatory experiences that we've gone through recently that started this on the podcast route. Um, I, I've, I've learned to, to let go of those things. Okay. What well, what were some of the techniques you were learned about to, uh, to induce lucid dreaming? Uh, well, basically I think the best way to explain it now, because the, the, the word, the, the, the terminology that I was given 20 years ago was not great, but basically it's just a, a mindfulness is, is, is the biggest key of it all. Basically you go through your day, you take, take a, a time frame. I chose six weeks. It was pretty arbitrary. I chose six weeks. And I made a point for that six weeks to ask myself, no matter where I was, no matter what I was doing, am I awake and is this mm. real? And, you know, if I was in class and I was bored, obviously that was real because that's how things were. <laughs> and then if something was more interesting, it was it was less more of a question, less certain. You know, I, I, you know, I, I have always been of the idea of, of the, the idea that if you're in a dream, reading will not work for you. I think I just heard it when I was a kid and I internalized it. I don't know if that's true for everyone, but for me it is. So I try to read things wherever I go. And if I can read something, I'm probably not dreaming. And if I can't, I probably am. And so those are, you know, those specific tools. Uh, I've also, I had another friend who did something similar, uh, who uh, got a a wristband, like a red wristband, and always looked at it and just to see if it was there and if physics worked on it. And, mm. uh, which recently we saw in a, in a TV show, actually someone was trying to see if they were dreaming and it kind of tripped me out because I had seen someone do that in real life, you know? 
Um, but really just heightened mindfulness of, you know, where are, where am I, where am I spatially? Yeah. Do things make sense? And after about six weeks of asking that question, I started realizing there were times when I, it wasn't real and I was asleep and I was able to control things and I was able to be who I was. And apparently this is not particularly normal. I'm always myself in dreams, at least the dreams I remember. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's not super normal. Apparently really? a lot of people are, 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 are often either watching a dream like a movie or if they are participating, they're participating as someone else. That's never been, the, that sounds neat to me. That sounds really fun, <laughs> but that's never been the case for me. I, I've I've had those, but I've also most of the time I'm me in a dream. Every once in a while, I have the movie like dream. Occasionally, I'm someone completely other. Um, I was saying, oh, and uh, I mean the technique I heard the most. I have heard that technique asking yourself if you're awake. Uh, the other one I heard is is getting into the habit of looking like at your hands or something, something that you can intentionally do that you start to be do habitually. So then when you do it in a dream, it snaps you into that reality of oh, I'm dreaming. Um, and for the most part, you're right. Most people can't read in dreams. Uh, I've had a couple where I've been able to read certain things, but it's very, it, yeah, it's, your brain doesn't, I think it's the part of your brain that dreams doesn't, doesn't interpret language quite right. Interesting. So that's, that's why it's hard to read in dreams. Um, the Snake Brothers, at some point, I point up that you, you don't generally use a phone in dreams, I think. And I had to look back through my dreams and go, no, every once in a while I'm using a phone. And then after they brought that up, I started using phones in dreams more. <laughs> so it was like, oh, okay, so that's now in my head, and now phones show up in my dreams. <laughs> it's like or, when you buy a red car, all you see is red cars. <laughs> right. Um, there was something else I was going to ask you to elaborate on there. Um, oh, so what did work with your sleep paralysis? My my small left toe. <laughs> I If I focus on my small left toe, I can move it. And if I can move one thing, I can move everything else. So as long as, all it takes is that getting that started, and I'm good. That makes sense. Uh, a lot of times my method would be trying to roll over. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But if I could get, yeah, just that little bit of movement, then the paralysis is broken. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Uh, Brittany, do you have sleep paralysis as well? No, thank God. That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> what about lucid dreaming? Um... Not really. I did have what I considered to be like a visitation once from my grandmother after she passed. Um, It was not like any dream that I had ever experienced before. Um, It was like almost like I was being awoken and kind of like my consciousness was like taken someplace else. I remember like there was like wind in my room and I could hear birds. And then all of a sudden I'm just like in this white room with my grandmother having a conversation with her um that's that's kind of like the strangest dream i've ever had i don't typically remember my dreams it's very rare if i remember a dream okay um so so what other types of experiences have you had um well i mean kind of like what jonathan was saying there was a period of time where like nothing you know after i went to college and moved out of my house you know my parents house I really didn't have a whole lot of like strange experiences. Um, you know, a lot of my, I guess, quote unquote, strange experiences after that, like was when I started getting into Reiki and, and energy work. Um, when you're going through Reiki training, they do like an attunement process and the type that I'm trained in, uh, it's like through a guided meditation. And 
I had like very like psychedelic experiences the first couple of times my energy was attuned, you know, where it was like, I'm a seed and then I'm like plopped into the ground and I'm growing into a tree and then I'm a bird that (laughs) transforms (laughs) into a fish type of thing. And it was like, to me at the time, I was like experiencing what I would consider like oneness, like just being really connected with everything in the universe. Um, so those were fun, <laughs> very <laughs> strange, but, um, <laughs> pretty profound experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um go ahead. No, Sorry. go ahead. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it like nowadays is more, I would say like due to my spiritual connection, um, except for when we started getting into this stuff <laughs> and that kind of opened some doors here, um, where I, I mean, I had been living here for about six months before we started down this rabbit hole that we're, we're in right now. And after that, whenever Jonathan leaves the house, strange things happen to me. Lights will turn on and off. Um, cupboards will open. I will hear footsteps and movement and stuff like that. And I'm the only person here. And it, I mean, a few times things have happened when he's been around, but I would say the vast majority is he is not in this house and something weird is happening. That's interesting. Apparently that happens in this house too. Oh, that is interesting. I leave and activity well, picks up. Yeah. I, that, that sounds about, that's what happens here for sure. Um, there's only been one or two things that have happened here when I have been here. Uh, but one of which was um, a very real, like very real uh, kind of heads on shadow person experience. Yeah. Talk about uh, that. So a couple of days before Halloween, we were about to, to record a Halloween episode for the podcast. Um, it's not abnormal for me to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. That part's not weird. I wake up real early, go for walks and stuff. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and look at the foot of our bed um, and, you know, right I, I sleep on the right side and I look to the right towards the door, this door right there. And between the bed and the door is a approximately six foot tall humanoid shape made of something that is darker than shadow. Like we're talking like, like Stuart simple blacker than black territory. Um, and it, it, it's face has no features, but I can tell it's a face and I can tell it's looking at me. And I get this this sense of just curiosity. You know, I'm I wasn't afraid. It it didn't feel like it it didn't feel threatening to me. Um, it was it was slender and it was it was just a, a, in a neutral pose. And it seemed like it was kind of waiting and it had this this really just curiosity was emanating from it. And I, I just kind of you know laid there and looked at it and it looked at me for you know a minute or two and then I kind of blinked and it wasn't there anymore and at that point I decided we you know I, I woke her up and, and we decided we we're going to talk about it in that episode for Halloween but I get up and I grab my earbuds and I just go outside and start walking it's dark which is normal for me and I turn on Vase which is another one of my favorite podcasts and the episode I'm listening to with Vase is when we're there talking about something called the Dark Man which apparently is like a recurring theme in, in ritual magic. Yeah. So that freaked me out a little bit. And then there's a mention in that face episode um, of a spirit box episode that talks about that. But then after that, I listened to a, an episode of right where you're sitting now with Ken Eakins. And that whole episode's about the dark man. And <laughs> I'm, you know, still walking and, and it's starting to get light. And I'm just like, my head's like kind of swimming. I'm like, what am I in? A, is this a sitcom for aliens? Like, what is, <laughs> what is happening here? 
and and that just one of the one one of the larger recent synchronicity events for me uh, has been that we've had a lot since we started down this rabbit hole. That's that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely not uncommon. The more you get into this stuff, the more this stuff pops up. Um, okay, so let's. Uh, what what else has happened to you there besides that? Meaning in this house? Yeah, you, you said know. there was a couple things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember. Jonathan, help me remember. But like, I feel like it was the night before he saw the shadow figure. I saw yeah. a shadow hand. Oh. <laughs> and I didn't tell him about this because I think he went to bed like way later, which is typical. He went to sleep like way later than me. So I was going to tell him about it in the morning. But I was just like sitting in bed reading a book. And all of a sudden I see like the perfect shape of a hand and it was just a black shadow hand coming out in front of the book and like just coming out there. <laughs> I just like turned to the left side and I was like, can you not <laughs> like, like I didn't know what else to do, but I was just like, can you just not? And it, it went away, but it was just a very strange experience. And I'm I'm almost positive if we listen to the Halloween episode, it will tell us, but I'm almost positive it was the night before. He saw that, which I is, think it was, which is really interesting that you both saw something like that two nights in a row. Yeah. So how how do you you two interpret that? I have had throughout my life, uh, actually, uh, about ten years ago. This it's very rare. I've been in Roanoke for eighteen years, and I've had maybe four experiences here, which is very the opposite of everywhere else I've ever lived. But this place feels like a, just this this vacuum of, of nothingness when it comes to weird activity and there's no stories. None of the old people have any stories. Like there's nothing, which is so different from, but I'm from like the deeper South and you yeah. have more traditions than the deeper South. There's also like more terror for in the deeper South. So I think that may have something to do with it. That's just my personal like pet theory. Uh, but about 10 years ago, I was at a friend of mine's house um, and he had bought a house very recently from that. Um, it was, had been built in, I believe, the 60s. It was a, a good-sized house, had a lot of open spaces, and I was crashing there one night. Um, we had some drinks or whatever. And I wake up about 4 o'clock in the morning, and there was uh, a, a dark shape going in front of these picture windows he had. It was just going very slowly from, from left you know, left to right in front of the window and then back from right to left and then from left to right. And the next, and the next morning I was like, well, that, that happened. You know, and the next morning I was like, Hey man, um, just to, to let you know, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. He's like, you saw the shadows, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, yeah, they're always there. He's like, I've never seen, they're, 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 not, they're not aggressive, but they've been there the whole time I've lived here. And I'm like, well, they're still here. So, you know, um, and like my my mom actually has has seen talked about and seen shadow people her entire life like it's just it, it's has followed her around so really? um, I'm pretty used to the idea of that my, my my mom has seen some strange and interesting things in her life for sure as well well that's cool yeah shadow people are one of those things that that uh, a lot of people easily dismiss um, you know of course when you're in sleep paralysis you're going to see things that aren't potentially there but. There's been plenty of times where I've seen these things dead on, like you're describing, where you know it's not out of the corner of your eye, it's not you know a, a you know a weird light movement or something. It's it's something very distinct, very blacker than black, uh, just like a voidish. I always called it liquid darkness. I don't know if that gels with what you're experiencing. That's a mm -hmm. that's a good way to put it, liquid darkness. I like that. Especially some of the smaller ones. I remember waking up and, and seeing a shadow on my ceiling. It was during, I sleep during the morning a lot of times. 
and it was moving around uh, along the lines of the grid of the ceiling. Uh, and it was just this sort of shadowy ball, and it didn't seem threatening or hostile or anything. And I just watched it for a while and then fell back asleep, and that was that. Yeah. But I found it weird that it didn't go outside the grid lines of the ceiling tiles, you know, like it followed along. Mm -hmm. That Um, is interesting. So when you look back at your past experiences from your perspective now, what do you make of them? And that's for both of you. Well, for for me, um, the specifically mo- until this last shadow person experience, where it, it just felt very obvious that I was being observed, I had always kind of taken the stone tapes idea. Okay. Of like maybe I was seeing like an impression of something that happened in the past, and just you know the the vibration of sun flares or something were just right for me to be able to see something that you know had happened because time is not what we think it is right basically yeah um but this this most recent thing in october kind of blew that out of the water for me i i, I now am kind of more open to to suggestions on that one um as far as um the stuff in that house when i was growing up i, I really think that it's 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 even possible to me because because of the things we're figuring out about time and the things that that you know physicists have figured out about you know the potential of how you know multiple universes may possibly work. Right. For all I know, that lady was experiencing me and my brothers playing around as kids ten years later. Right. Because there was a there's a lot of things that happened in my, in that house. My my father was uh, a complicated man and he was not uh, particularly suited to be a parent. Mm. Uh, to put it nicely, and there was a lot of emotional things that happened in that house, and it seems to me, based on the stories that seem to ring true of a lot of people that I've read, heard, and talked to over the years, that uh, high emotional charges can make things happen in places. Oh, yeah. And maybe that some of that stuff she's experiencing was echoes of things that happened to me and my brothers in our family as children. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, um, when they've done tests on like, uh, like Dr. Bem's te- uh, research in Cornell where he was having people shown random images and they would their brains would react before the images were even uh picked by the computer it was always the highly emotionally charged images um that's interesting in in other types of laboratory experiments yeah you see the emotional the stuff that creates emotion is what creates experiences which is why laboratory testing is so hard because it's so dry i always liked kripal's comment that you know the paranormal happens for a reason which is why it's so hard to recreate it in the lab Mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes down to emotion creating energy i think i think that that's where you're getting that psychokinetic energy and it certainly can move backwards and forwards in time so um Brittany, you you said a lot of this stuff focused on your sister yeah and uh how does she feel about it (laughs) um she's She's gone through a, a journey herself of closing it down, shutting it down, and then she is now slowly trying to open herself up. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it's just it's something that just follows her, you know, and I, I, I think if people can be amplifiers for that kind of energy, I think that she would be an amplifier. Like I said, things get quieter at my parents' house when she's not around, but it's not gone completely like um, and I, I think we've in that house, which is strange because my parents built that house. So it's attached to the land, perhaps. I'm not exactly sure. Um, 
there's kind of, to me, there would be different types of hauntings there. So the little girl that my sister would see did not seem to have any kind of awareness of us. It was not interacting with us in any way. Mm. But there was other energies there that definitely did interact with us. They would take things. Um, One time, my ex-husband called the ghost a very naughty name (laughs) that we won't say (laughs) right now. And he got hissed in his ear, like Mm. immediately after that happened, you know, so just there's, it seems like there's kind of some different types of energy. And when you guys were talking about like the emotional energy that reminded me of something that happened, um, I don't remember the exact situations that were going on. I just remember that my sister and I were both very upset about something and we were sitting in my bedroom together and I used to have like a disco ball hanging from my ceiling fan and we're, you know, in my bedroom talking, crying, upset. And all of a sudden the disco ball is like flying, like the fan's not on. We haven't touched it. And it's just like moving back and forth. And we kind of at that time were like, did we just do that? Like, <laughs> Was that from our energy? I don't know, but it's kind of interesting to think about. I would think that that was the case. Um, I mean, because you see PK energy follows people, but it doesn't mean that something can't also pick up on that. And like you said, it, I mean, they built the house. So the house didn't have like a haunted history. Right. Um, but who knows what happened on the land, if the land's on a, you know, a magnetic anomaly that just you yeah. know, helps bring that energy up. But this, the, the stuff followed your sister, it sounds like. So she was definitely a point of, of energy as well. Yeah, for sure. And and the house is not right next to you, but very, very close to a river. So I don't know if Mm. that had anything to do with it as well. Um, And there's a pretty, like, for the area, a famous haunting that is, like, right across the river from where my parents live. And I don't, yeah. Um, It's of a mother and her daughter, her young daughter. They're kind of, like, running away from a house and, like, panicked. We talked about it in our Halloween episode, and there's a lot of theories of who these two people were. Um, So I don't think anybody really knows who they are, but (laughs) there's a a couple different theories out there. So it seems like in the area itself, there is a lot of spiritual activity happening. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, because it it sounds like it fits a pretty typical poltergeist sort of thing for the most part. Uh, Stuff that happened when you were growing up anyway. Um, Especially that it, that it, uh, amped up when you you know, became adolescence, mm-hmm. so that's that's when energy seems to to kick in even more. And again, if you're already in an energetic area, now you do uh, besides Reiki, you do some channeling too. Yeah, I I work with um, my authentic self or higher self. Um, I connect with um, what I would call like angelic energies. Um, I've I work in the Akashic records as well. So I do connect with spirits. I don't like connect. <laughs> I don't ever connect with human spirits. <laughs> okay. It's always something. It's always something else. But I can, I would say I feel human spirits more so than like getting messages from them or, or anything like that. Okay. And, and how do you define the Akashic records? Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 well, um, to me, they are the, it's a level of consciousness and it is like the energetic records of the universe. So 
every person has their own Akashic records. That's kind of like, this is everything that's ever happened to you this lifetime, other lifetimes, future potentials, that type of thing. Um, it's a very healing level of consciousness. So uh, a lot of times I will go in to like communicate with guides and stuff like that. But more often than that, than not, I'm doing like spiritual energetic healing when I'm working in the records. Okay. Okay. Um, and what do you think the spirits you're connecting with are? Um, it depends. Um, but I would say for me, the majority of the spiritual energy I connect with are angels. Okay. So and do, I do you, connect. Do you define that ahead. as like in a Christian sense or just? No. Okay. Um, I define it as, <laughs> so my belief system is that we all come from the same universal source and there's just different levels of vibration or consciousness and so angelic energy is coming from that same universal source as we are. They just exist in a different dimension or in a different vibration. Right. So, um, yes, there's definitely <laughs> I, a lot of the ones that I connect with have been named, I guess, you know, by the Christian religion. Sure, but sure. I don't believe that Christians get to own angels. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, there was a, I mean, I've, I've dealt with things that again, seem to, to be stereotypical of like gods and goddesses, mm -hmm. but like, you know, part of me is like, but why, you know, like, I don't necessarily believe these things empirically exist, but I didn't know what they were until I was given enough information to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, have, have these archetypes just kind of been created like tulpas or, were they mm -hmm. always there and they've taken these names and assumed these identities because it's an easy way to communicate with us? Mm -hmm. yeah. Those are definitely questions I ask myself as well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm with uh, you there. <laughs> so, so when you do the Akashic Record work, do you ever get information that's like solidly validatable or is it just stuff to help you deal with uh, like healing yourself and uh, things like that? Yeah. Um, so I don't, a lot of people are like, do a records reading for me. And I don't want to, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it feels like there's a lot of pressure of like, you have to like get the right answers. And I really feel like, um, spiritual guides, <laughs> my cousin Mark said this, um, recently when we interviewed him, but he, he's talking about how like they breadcrumb you. <laughs> and mm. so it's like, it's never like the full clear answer. It is more of like, here's a direction and here's some possibilities and here's what could be aligned. Right. But like, I do believe just from my experiences and from, you know, classes that I've taken that like spiritual guides don't care what you do. <laughs> necessarily it's like there's no shoulds like should i do this or should i do that they're like you can do whatever you want do you want to go the easier road or do you want to go the harder road you know so it's kind of like that of like here's the options which one do you want to take i hope yeah. that makes sense yeah no totally kind of, kind of they're, they're not um personally uh um uh, what's sort of invested in what decisions yeah. you make yeah I mean, any any path that you take, there's going to be lessons and growth for you. So it's like, you know, you, you pick your own adventure here. And I, and I always go back to whether or not we actually have free will or not, and, uh, and I'm not really sure. I'm also not sure it matters, but mm -hmm. 
obviously you stand on the, on the idea that we definitely have free will. I do. I think sometimes there's different maybe plot points that you're yeah. going to get yeah. led to, but I think overall, like you get to choose. Um, when I left my ex-husband, I went and had a Reiki session with my Reiki teacher. And she said, when she was working on me, she's like, I feel like that whole session was you shifting timelines. Like you making the choice to leave just put you on a completely, I mean, which it like in a literal sense makes sense. It did put me on a completely different path, but she was speaking more of like, kind of like that energetic path of like you shifted realities here. Okay. And Jonathan, what's, what's your take on all the uh, energy stuff? I think that we suffer from an extreme uh, lack of proper wording for most things. And I think that's why you end up with, uh, you know, experiences from multiple different people of multiple different belief systems who use the same words like angels, because we don't have adequate terminology for these things. And it's easier to say, oh, well, I had communication from an angel and it told me to do this thing and I didn't get into a car accident than it is to say, uh, a luminous being in my mind that I could not see, but I could see, but I could not see, inti- intimated to me that maybe I shouldn't do this thing, and I didn't do it, and, I didn't, and nothing bad happened. So, you know, for expedience, I think that's that's where you get a lot of these. And also, like, when it really comes down to it, if you look at every culture that's ever had any kind of idea of something greater than us or something outside of us, there's always trickster elements. Yeah. Always. Like, no matter what culture you come from. And I, I, every person I know who's had experiences with uh, altered dimensional beings or whatever you want to call them, aliens, whatever, there's always, you know, mostly it goes towards a positive or neutral effect, but there's always in a direction you're not expecting it to go in. And I mean, even, you know, mainstream Christianity will say God works in mysterious ways. It's kind of, kind of the same thought process really is you're, you, it's none of this is ever going to work out the way you think it's going to, because and and I think part of it is it's amusing to to them whatever they are. I try really hard not personally as a human. I try really hard not to have a belief system per se. Um, to me, the, the the universe is this um, wonderful and terrible thing that we are fortunate enough to exist in for a short period of time. And whether that was created by something or not doesn't matter to me. That doesn't pay my rent. And it doesn't matter from my experiences necessarily because I'm going to have the experiences I'm going to have. I do now believe that we do have free will from our own perspective. If you were able to see us from a higher fourth or fourth dimensional perspective, you would maybe disagree with that because of the way time may or may not work. Yeah. But we don't have the ability to see on that. Just like, you know, an analogy is often made as if there was a, a consciousness that existed in a two dimensional reality if something in the third dimension tried to make itself visible to them, they would probably perceive it as a dot and then a expanded line and then a decreasing line and then a dot and then nothing. Yeah. And that, that person would say, what was that? Yeah. And that would be yeah. the end of it. Like that, that, because they're not built to see in that way, just like we're not built to see necessarily in a fourth dimensional way, at least not yet. Who knows what technology will bring? <laughs> I don't know if we need technology for that. <laughs> I did think I did think of two stories. You asked me about if like any of the things that I've received like spiritual guidance about is provable. Mm-hmm. I do have two stories if you want to hear them. Sure, yeah, absolutely. 
So the first one was before I was exploring anything spiritual. I was, there was a job I really wanted and they had offered it to me, but it was like part-time, no benefits, a ton of driving, not great pay, but it was like the position, like the work itself I really wanted. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. I'm going to like buy all the toilet paper and all the land and just like stock up on things <laughs> that I can stock up on. And I was just like, I think I was like cleaning or something like that. And I like all of a sudden had this like urge come over me of like get a pen, get paper and write this down. And so I wrote and it was like not in my handwriting at all. And I wrote like, do not take the job as it's being offered. Wait and you will get what you want. Basically was the message. Mm. So I was like, oh. Like, and it was just like this feeling that I don't know that I can adequately describe, but it was just like this knowing that this is coming from like someplace very deep inside of me. This is not coming from just like my, my own brain right now. Right. And I needed to listen to it. So I did not take the job and a month later was offered the position that I wanted with that company, full-time benefits, less driving, more money. Nice. So that was that one. The second one was more recent i was coming back from this was before jonathan and i had met before we knew each other and i was coming back from a family vacation and said to my mom like i need to just prepare you that i might not live in new york for the rest of my life and she's like where is this coming from and i didn't even know where it was coming from it was just like words coming out of my mouth and I'm like, I don't know. I just I just might not. And she's like, well, where would you live? And I'm like, I don't know. Virginia seems pretty nice. <laughs> no real connection with Virginia. I mean, I had spent a little bit of time here when I was in college, but like no reason for Virginia to be the place. Right. Yeah. And so two months later, Jonathan and I started talking and here I live in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> How did your mom feel about it? Was she was she mystified by that or? Yes, we have talked about that. And she's like, you're kind of freaking me out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I think that would fit as one of those plot points that was probably supposed to happen. Yeah, I agree. And, and what led you to starting the podcast? Well, um, there's a couple of steps to that. Uh, what, what really started down this, this entire thing is uh, in, in June, we were watching Twin Peaks. Neither one of us had seen Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And so we were like about a season in on Twin Peaks and I happened to turn on uh, the Amazon Prime app. And we we had not at that point watched any weird stuff on Amazon. I don't know how the algorithm even put this there. But the first thing that shows up on that day on the 24th of June of 2023 was Hellier. Mm. It just popped up. It was the first thing on the main screen. And it said, you know, documentary, it says, you know, whatever. And so I I did the thing that I always do going into any kind of documentary, especially about weird stuff, is I went in on Google and I typed in, uh, is Hellier debunked? And every single thing I saw about Hellier was positive. It was all these people have these experiences uh, or I don't know if, if, if their conclusions are right, but I believe that these things are happening to these yeah. people. Every single thing was positive. And I was like, well, this never happens. There's always somebody trying to debunk something. Yes. So we're like, well, we have to watch this. And generally, Brittany and I are, are kind of, you know, we'll watch like an episode of something a day, if that. You know, sometimes there's a couple of days we don't watch anything. We've we, we got a lot going on, and that's just kind of how it is. 
Yeah. We I think it took us like four days to watch Hell Year. Like we 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 <laughs> we uh, straight up binge watched it, and a lot of things started to happen in very fast succession of that. Um, one of which was was really funny is like the first mention of Alan Greenfield on Hell Year. Um, and, and I and I to my knowledge had not heard of him previous to that. But for whatever reason, they they mentioned Alan's name. They mentioned Secret Cipher Yuvenots, and I paused it. I'm like, I wonder if this is available on Amazon. So I went went on Amazon. I'm like, hey, it's like you know less than twenty bucks on Amazon. Let's order that. So I immediately just ordered it. Went right back to watching the show. Couldn't tell you why I did at the time. It just popped in my head to do that. Um, and so we watched that and we kept watching, um, watching Twin Peaks and the more going through Twin Peaks, the more I was remembering other times in my life that I had kind of like put back into my head of when I was either having weird experiences or talking to people about weird experiences or reading things about it. And, and all this high strange and stuff that I had blocked out of my life started coming back. So that's my side of, of how this happened. And then, uh, uh, when was it? Like a month later, we were having that drive, really. Yeah, that was the like middle of July. We're coming back That's from right. Tennessee. Yeah, tell that part. And we were listening. I think it was Penny Royal podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> it was a download. I just paused it. I'm like, we should do this. We should have a podcast. We should interview people about their strange stories. We'll call it Strange Stories with a Seeker and the Skeptic. It literally just came out of me like that. Nice. And then we went home, we put out like a Facebook post and a Reddit post, I think, is like how we got started. We got a ton of people like interested immediately, like I've had a strange experience, I've had a strange experience. And it just like, like it went so smoothly, it was weird, <laughs> you know, like it was just like immediate like idea to like a couple weeks later, we're recording our first episode. That's awesome. Um, how, how do you like, do you vet the stories you get in or do you just kind of accept them as, as is we, um, we ask people to fill out a questionnaire so that we know what the story is and we can ask some questions and kind of guide the conversation that way. But we don't really like vet it. Like, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we've turned anybody away. Have we? Yeah. Yeah. No, we haven't. We haven't had to, and and I and I don't think that we will. I, I think yeah. generally, people who people who want to tell stories that aren't true don't want to do that verbally. You know, I yeah. think you're, you're more likely to see that on like a web forum or like on Reddit or something. Um, but generally, if somebody's like actually like speaking something out loud, and you know they're they're they've corresponded with somebody a couple of times. Unless they're real deep down their own rabbit hole, I I, I think it's unlikely that that's gonna be. And also, honestly. Um, you know, I, I've got a, I'm, I'm a pretty good judge of, uh, whether someone is, is being sincere with me. Um, it comes from, you know, years of being a, a competitive card player, uh, plus, uh, dealing with, uh, some interesting people throughout the, the beginning of my life. Some of my, my, my father's friends growing up were not necessarily the nicest people. And, uh, they had some interesting skills of, trying uh, uh you know i picked up ways to to tell if somebody was leading me on right if, right. if you will um and I, I i lean pretty heavy into that I, I feel pretty comfortable knowing whether someone is shining me on yeah i, I and all the time i've been doing this i don't think there's really there, there's only been maybe a couple of times where i'm like mm, this sounds almost too good to be real but you know i'll mm-hmm. i'll give them the benefit of the doubt um because I'd rather believe someone who's lying than not believe someone who's telling the truth. Right. For sure. 
because yeah. there's, there's enough people out there who are just not going to believe any of it. Yeah. Well, on the plus side, personally, I am not interested in trying to convince anyone of anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm not interested in, in, in listening to someone who's trying to convince someone of anything. I, I am more than happy to listen to, 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 to a story that someone has had. I'm much more likely to believe someone telling me something um, that, that, you know, and you can hear conviction in their voice than I am something that someone wrote down hundreds of years ago. You know what I'm saying? True, true. Um, although even those, I don't necessarily doubt, uh, it just depends. Oh, sure. You know, obviously we know a little more about how things work, mm-hmm. uh, but it seems like it's always the scientific establishment that's behind on that stuff. You know, like, you know, in, in the 1800s, early 1800s, you know, science was absolutely sure that rocks didn't fall from the sky and that these farmers seeing meteors were just, you know, superstitious idiots and, uh, didn't know what they were talking about. So, for sure. I mean, how young is science, really? I mean, how, how yeah. long have we known about the atom, for real? Like, not that long in the grand scheme of things. Not for our culture, at least. I mean, there's there's hints that ancient cultures might have known about the atom, which is always interesting. Because where did that knowledge come from, and why did we lose it? Mm-hmm. But let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. All right, quick mid-show break here. Um, as far as contacting the show, where to the road go.com takes you to everything you could possibly need. There is, uh, all our links to social media, whether it be X or Facebook or Facebook group or, uh, any of that stuff. Uh, our discord is on there, YouTube channel, everything. If you, uh, want to email us, there is a contact tab and in the contact tab is all the emails you could use. Uh, and if you have a story you want to share with us, stories at where to the road go.com is the place to send them. Beyond that, if you're into heavy music, please check out my music show, The Last Exit for the Lost. You can find it at thelastexit.org, and I just got done updating the uh, Mixcloud archive, so it's all up to date, and there's so much awesome stuff in there, music-wise. Again, if you like heavy music, if you don't like heavy music, you still might like the talk breaks, but uh, probably not worth it to listen through everything just for the movie reviews and stuff. All right, as far as recommendations go, I think I'm going to go with another movie. Uh, this one is Dream Scenario. We might do a short uh, off-road show on this at some point. Uh, this is uh, the latest Nick Cage movie, and it's based on this man. Or have you seen this man? I forget exactly what it is. But if you look it up, it's supposedly a guy a bunch of people were seeing in their dreams. Uh, but it was actually a, a marketing campaign. So we may get into more of that. Like I said, if we do a short off-road episode, it's an interesting concept. The movie is done very well. Um, I didn't love it, but I love the concept. And apparently Nick Cage said if this was the last movie he ever did, he'd retire happy. So apparently he liked it. And everyone I know who's watched it has liked it. Uh, like I said, I liked it. I just didn't love it. I expected to love it. Maybe my expectations were too high or something. But uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff in there we're going to talk about. Like I said, hopefully on a short show at some point. Or as part of Wandering the Road show. We'll see. Anyway, let's go back to uh, The Skeptic and the Seeker. So I am here with uh, Brittany and Jonathan. And the name of your podcast is? Strange Stories with the Seeker and the Skeptic. See, I can remember the Seeker and the Skeptic part. It's actually a very <laughs> good name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't know if I said it on the air, but early... Uh, at some point early on this show, someone was saying, you know, there needs to be a show that's, uh, that has like an X-Files sort of thing where you have one person who's a believer, one person who's skeptical, and, uh, and you're, you're the closest I've seen so far. <laughs> Good deal. 
We, we appreciate that. <laughs> you're, you're skeptical in the right way. That's the other thing. You're not dismissive. You're not a debunker, uh, Jonathan. You're 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 a you're you're aiming to be a true skeptic, which is someone who asks questions and doesn't just uh, jump to conclusions. Right. Yeah. Debunkers. They, those are those are people with an axe to grind. They they want to prove yeah. to you that something's not real. And I'm, I'm not interested in proving anything to anybody. I'm too yes. old for that. <laughs> yes. I totally get that. I've I've had people say, you know. Well, you'd have to prove it to me. And I'm like, I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't care what you believe. Yeah. <laughs> believe what you want. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that this is what my life experience has told me. Right. And clearly they've had a different life experience and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of these fields get caught up on proof. Like, oh, we got to prove it. So everyone believes in Bigfoot or ghosts or whatever. And it's like, that's never going to happen. I mean, short of getting like a Bigfoot body or something. Right. It's just that that belief is it, it's you're not going to convince these people. You're it's always crazy. Or crazy is maybe a strong word. It's always always kind of wild to me how a lot of people will pick something in the realm of greater esoterica and decide that's the thing that they think is real yeah. and that everyone else is crazy. Yep. And you see it mostly to me. You <laughs> see that in like Bigfoot people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They believe that Bigfoot is a very real flesh and bones thing, and one day there will be a, a corpse that gets pulled out of the out of the woods, and you'll all see now. But then, you know, add strange lights in the sky to that, and it's like, oh no, you're you're a crazy person, right? Well, why is your <laughs> weird thing any different than that person's weird thing? I think it's all connected. Yeah, and I think that's why it's these fields haven't gone further than you would think they would have. Because you have that that sort of objection to, um, you know, looking at it as a spectrum of all these different things. It's just this is the thing I believe is real. Everything else is nonsense. This makes mm -hmm. sense to me. Nothing else does. But you said you said now you had an experience uh, that you were going to talk about. What what was that one, Jonathan? So when I was when I was eighteen, I was living in the the eastern eastern coast of North Carolina, and I was going to college in the mountains of West Virginia, uh, just right there on the Virginia side, the West Virginia border. And um, my folks were giving me a ride out there, and it was a nine-hour drive. <clears throat> we got two hours in, and we are going to stop at a gas station to get a drink or something. So we go off the interstate, and we go uh, past past one convenience store, and we don't stop it for some reason. I don't know why, but I, I see on the side of the road um, – a, a tall, very lanky African American man with really long fingers, wearing a what what I what I later found out through research and looking at at, at photos, uh, wearing what would have been a, a a Korea era army uniform, full dress, um, standing very tall, very still on the side of the road, and that you know it gave me pause. You know it, that's not something you expect to see. We go to the next uh, gas station down, grab a drink, get back on the road. A couple hours later, we need to stop for gas. So we go off another exit. And again, we pass, we, we, we bypass the first gas station we see. And I couldn't tell you why. We just do. And I see on the side of the road at that other gas, that next gas station, the same person. Elongated fingers, same really old army uniform, just serenely staring at pa passing traffic, looking at every car that goes by. We hit the next place. We get gas. We get back on the road. We get almost to where we're going. We're like seven and a half hours in. We're in the mountains. And we just need to stop and stretch our legs. Maybe get some more gas or a Coke or something. 
and this this same thing happened for the third time. Wow. We passed the first gas station and don't go in for reasons I'll never know. And I saw that person a third time. And it's the same uniform, crisp dress uniform, Korea era, full dress army uniform, um, African-American looking man, very long fingers. And we go to the next gas station we stretch. And I looked at my, at, at my, my folks, my parents, because that's, that's who was giving me right out there. And I asked them if they had seen what I saw. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, you didn't see the, the guy in the, the army uniform? In like a green army uniform? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I was like, I've seen him three times on this drive. And they're like, they, they were just baffled. They had no, no clue what I was talking about. Hmm. But I, I've, you know, 20 years later, I've never forgotten this. It, it is actually by memory. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. That's, that's really weird. Because, I mean, if it was just a normally dressed person, you could say, well, maybe it was someone who just looked like that. But that's a, a very pe- uh, peculiar way to dress in this time period to begin with. Um, and to see anyone dressing that way, you know, over that long of a distance rules out any like, well, it's just, just coincidence, you know? For so sure. What, what, what do you think you experienced? I, I wish I knew. I, I didn't get any like weird feelings off the guy. And sometimes you will see something where you get like, you know, for lack of a better term, a vibe off of, but that, that wasn't the case. It was just this, you know, I guess another experience in my life where, where what I felt was, if anything, curiosity. Yeah. It just was just, just observing and being curious. So what would you say uh, for each of you would be the weirdest thing, you the, the most high strangest thing you've experienced? <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Jonathan's had way stranger experiences than me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I did one time when I was a teenager alone at my house, did see the little girl that my sister had seen so much. It was mm. just very quick, her kind of like walking out in front of me and then disappearing. Um, so I feel like that's kind of my strangest, as boring as that is. <laughs> well, it's not really boring. Did, uh, did, did did it look, I mean, could you get a time period read off of the, what you saw? It was a little girl in a white nightgown, um, mm. you know, so it, I mean, it, she did seem more old fashioned, probably like 1800s time period, if I had to guess. Right. Okay. So Jonathan, what's, what's your high strangeness peaks? Well, I, I think um, there's one. I, I'm okay. This is uh, this is a weird one, um, and, and I've, I've told Brittany this before. Um, but I'm gonna change some names because this is what you do. Yeah. Uh, about about a decade ago, I worked for this company that is a retailer for a certain type of collectible, and part of the job we would travel around the country buying and selling product for that collectible. And one of the, the ways we did that, uh, when someone did like a, a purchase that dealt with store credit, we had these little credit slips we would fill out, like hand fill out. And one of the days on one of these trips, um, one of the guys needed 10 bucks for like a hamburger or something or like a pack of cigarettes. And uh, I had cash on me and uh, I very jokingly said, hey, man, um, I got 10 bucks to sell me your soul. And, you know. <laughs> He was like, well, I don't believe in souls. I'm like, well, then you've got nothing to lose. I got $10. So I, I'm, I, I filled out a, a credit slip, one, one human soul, and made him sign it and date it. And I put it in my pocket, my, in my wallet. That's awesome. And I gave him $10. And uh, about a week later, another dude comes up and said, hey, so-and-so told me that uh, you, you know, gave him $10 for a soul. 
you got any cash on you, I, I could use, you know, I want, I want a monster or something, some kind of energy drink or something. I don't know. Maybe it was a pack of cigarettes too. I'm like, yeah, man, I've got some cash on me. So I hand him a $10 bill and then I, I, we're, we, it's another guy I work with. So we're at the, the place we worked. So I went to the guys who dealt with that department. I'm like, Hey man, I need, I need a, a credit slip. And the guy's like, why? I said, well, this guy wants to sell me a soul. I need something to write on. He just got to, Rolled his eyes. All right, Jonathan. Ha ha. You weird guy. Here's your credit slip. And I make him sign it. And I fill it out. And it's $10 for one human soul. I put it in my wallet. And kind of forget about it for a while. And things for a while started to get pretty good for me. Um, mm. you know, I, I've always had weight issues throughout my life. Weight loss became easier. I made some friends. Um, yeah, I started you know, doing better in, in things that I cared about in endeavors. I did better with my job. I got a lot of recognition. Things started being really good for about two years. And at the end of two years, apparently the first guy had told his uh, his fiance that story thinking, ha ha, I'm going to tell you this funny story about how I got $10 off Jonathan. And she uh, did not find it to be humorous at all and said, if you want me to stay with you, you will get your soul back. And she was very serious. And he's like, hey, man, please tell me you still have that trace up. I know it's been two years and there's no way you still have this. Well, of course I did. It was still in my wallet. And so he gives me $10 and I give him back this paper representation of his soul. And it turns out that the other guy was working with us as well. He was, you know, in the same room. He's like, hey, man, I got 10 bucks. Let me get mine back, too. All right. No problem. I got $20 in my pocket. I don't really think anything of it. Things start to get really bad for me. I, uh, within a couple of months, I lost my job. I was, uh, I lost the place that I was living in and I spend the next seven years having really, really bad luck, like TV show, bad luck. Like I you know, couldn't find a, a job that would pay enough. I've, I, I mean, uh, lots of people have these kind of struggles and I'm not saying this is a direct kind of correlation at all, but it, 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 the timing feels that way for sure. Now I started having health problems. My weight issues got really, really bad. And this happened. And, and for the, a period of seven years to the month, you know, I, I just couldn't do anything right, you know, um, and I couldn't, couldn't make anything work for me. And once that seven years ended was when I, um, I was working two jobs, I was working 60 hours a week. I was probably a double, double cheeseburger away from 500 pounds. And I was in a place where something had to change. And something clicked in my brain on that that twelfth month of the seventh year, and that's when I found DDPY Diamond Dallas Page Yoga, which put me on the path hmm. to you know since the, in 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 the th three years since then I've lost 160 pounds. That's also how Brittany and I met. So that started a process to do that. But I I, I knew about DDPY before. I, I I know you're a wrestling fan, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And I've so met, you know who I've, I've, you know I've who met DDP I've met DDP before. He's a great dude. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, we we met um this year actually in person. Mm -hmm. He's a cool guy. Um, I had known for over a year about DDPY. And, and I knew in my head that if I started that, I could turn things around, but there was something stopping me from making that decision. And that block went away when that seven years was up. Now, does that mean that I believe that I curse myself and the souls are real? Not really. But do I have to ask questions about that based on everything I just said that yeah. experienced to happen to me? I have to ask those questions. I have no choice. But I, I feel like they should have had the bad luck when you, when they sold you the souls. <laughs> It shouldn't have affected you selling them back, you know, unless it's a karmic thing, unless, unless there is something to the idea of karma and there is something that is important about a soul or what we call a soul. And I should not have done the thing that I did. I don't know. I don't have a way of knowing this, but I do know 
that once that and, and I, I you don't think about this stuff at the time, but since that has been over, I've connected these things and it, everything seems to line up. And, and you know, causation and correlation are not the same thing, of course. You right. Know? And I, you know, we 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 add things up in our head because the human mind wants things to make sense. Sure. But but maybe who knows? Huh. That that is. Uh, I'm surprised you don't use Soul Collector as your nickname. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, actually, uh, the documentary that is, that DDP did, um, talking about his yoga and stuff, and a lot of people swear by his yoga. Obviously, it oh, helped yeah. you. Um, oh yeah, for sure, saved my life. I was gonna, I was gonna end it. I, I had a oh, plan. Really? Uh, I was, I had, it was a good plan, and I, I was like, you know, because I was working sixty hours a week just to try to live, and I was like, this is not a life. And then I said to myself, okay, I have a choice. I know that this works for me if I try. If this does not work, I can just go back to the plan. And I gave myself six weeks. I said, if I don't have improvement in six weeks, I can revisit the plan. And oh. this is a hard thing to talk about sometimes, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a thing that happened in my life. And six weeks in, you know, I made some dietary changes as well. Of course, it's not just the program. Right, right. But, you know, I that, that first six weeks, I lost 40 pounds. Wow. And... That I would, that was I was sold. I was like, all right, this works. I can do this, and then I I never looked back. Awesome. Um, well, I know I know what I was going to say. The uh, the documentary on Jake the Snake Roberts, who mm-hmm. went mm-hmm. to work with uh, DDP. Uh, Jake is wearing a shirt he got from me. Oh, oh. Uh, the Syracuse one. Uh, oh. it was no, it's uh, an Angels Beneath Me shirt. They were a local band. And uh, I had one of their their shirt on when I uh, went to see if he would do an interview with me. And he's like, sure. He's like, but I want that shirt. That shirt is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not going to fit into this shirt. And so he's like, I'll give you one of my shirts for that shirt. And so I'm like, okay, sure. And so he gave me a Jake the Snake shirt and I gave him that. And then he showed up on the documentary wearing it. And everyone's like, who's Angels Beneath Me? And by then they had broken up. Oh. <laughs> And That's they're an awesome, and, awesome story. Yeah. And they and they were wrestling fans, so they were thrilled to see Jake the Snake wearing an Angels Beneath Me shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, that's great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jake's condition seems to be back and forth, but it seems like DDP was able to help him to some degree at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's an interesting story. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. Like, because it seems more than coincidental. For sure, yeah. It, it just lines up uh, too well for it to be a, a complete coincidence thing. Uh, and, and as someone who has, you know, I, I had a lot, throughout my life, I've had a lot of things I've had to deconstruct because of how I was raised. Because sure. we, we went from that, that very specific type of religion with my parents. And my parents were always really big in to their spirituality and their religion. And when your parents are into something, when you're a kid, it always bleeds into you, yeah. no matter what it is, you know, be it baseball or religion or anything else. And then, you know, when I was 11, my dad decided that he was supposed to be a minister and he was supposed to be Baptist. And if you can't get any more different within the same religion between those two thought processes, they're <laughs> very different from one another. And so it was really a culture shock. And so I had to kind of, you know, belief is in a way programming, especially when you're a kid and, yeah. you know, kind of being, being deprogrammed from one thing as a kid into another thing. And then you become an adult and you have to ask yourself, what are the things I believe? And for me, that started when I was like 13 because I've always been weird. And so, <laughs> you know, when I was 13, I started asking these questions, started reading John Keel, started reading, um, you know, what, listening to, to um, the early coast to coast way back when in the mm-hmm. mid nineties. 
um, and Rock Talk with Alan Handelman way back then when he used to do his weird shows on the syndication show. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that dude. No, he I'm was, not. Uh, he, he was awesome, man. He had a Sunday night syndicated show called Rock Talk Radio. And like three weeks out of four in a month, it would be like 80s rock dudes like Ted Nugent and Kiss and like all those guys. But the fourth Sunday of each month, it would be the strangeness show. And he would talk. That's how I found out about the Mothman prophecies for the first time. That's how I found out about Edgar Casey. That's how I found out about UFOs and stuff. Um, in a big way was that dude's show. Hmm. And so that, you know, that made me, you know, ask more of those questions of, you know, what of these things are true and real that I've been taught my whole life. And, and what are things that people just believe because they were told to believe because their folks believed it. And a lot of things in a lot of different directions, not just, you know, esoteric stuff, but in other parts of your life, do you believe what you believe because that's what you were taught or do you believe that, what you believe because this is what you really think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Unless you stop and question those belief systems, those, because a lot of that stuff is hidden from you. It's a matter of deep diving into your own psyche to, to figure out why you believe certain things and, and trying to find those things that you just take for assumptions without mm-hmm. question. And, uh, that's, that's something I've always tried to do with my life. Like stop and be like, okay, why do I think this? Where are the hidden assumptions that I'm basing this on? Uh, and see if, you know, when, once you do that, if it, if it holds up on the other side, mm-hmm. it's like knocking those belief pillars down. Absolutely. I, I think that all, all assumptions should be looked at personally. And I think that for, for, for the majority of people, maybe for everyone, that is really what is the work of a lifetime. Um, going back into this kind of stuff, you know, from this summer on, I kind of had to confront myself in that in, in doing that type of work. Uh, I, I went a little too far in the other direction of uh, once I stopped believing in the things that I, I, I found out just definitely couldn't be true. I kind of stopped believing in the possibility of anything. And so I'm, I'm now having to write that in my own brain and I'm doing that through the podcast and I'm doing that through reading and listening to other podcasts like yours. You're, you, you know, I've really enjoyed going through your back catalog recently um, and a lot of stuff really resonates with me. The people you talk to has been has been super helpful. So for what whatever it's worth, the, the show matters. It does. Well, thank you. Um, it seems like we have a very similar outlook on on how we take this stuff. Um, that was like the first thing I noticed when I started listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh, we're definitely on the same page here. And it's a very open page. That's the thing. Like it's not a oh I believe this. It's a hey why don't we stop labeling everything and and be a little more open to what's actually going on. So for sure. Um, and, uh, like as far as like, like, like I remember there was a part in one of your shows where you were talking about the, um, the job experience, uh, Brittany and mm-hmm. Jonathan, you were kind of of the mind that, well, that's just your unconscious. And you were kind of saying the same things. Uh, but do you ever have like, like strong disagreements about how this stuff works? Like, like the, the, uh, the energy stuff and things like that. Is there a place where you really diverge? I don't know that diverge is the right word. Uh, There are things that she is more open to that I, it's not that I'm not open to it or don't agree with it, is that I don't have a way of expressing myself in that manner. Like a lot of of her like kind of energy type stuff, um, it's just not the way that I communicate with the world, I think. It's just a little, is that, Seem kind of fair to you, Brittany? Am I saying that right? Yeah, and I, I think you said this recently. Um, 
I'm very big into manifestation and really want him to jump on board this <laughs> with me. <laughs> um, but, you know, he said, like, he he doesn't really want to be tied down to any beliefs. And I can respect that, you know, and I, I think we both challenge each other. And through that being challenged in our, our thinking, I think we both have expanded, you know, so... I, I just like to believe in everything. Like <laughs> I've said before, you know, Rob Lowe said like, you know, I don't know what's real, but it's just more fun to believe. And that's kind of <laughs> where I land with things. But sometimes he will bring, Jonathan will bring a little bit more like logical questions into it. Whereas I'm a little bit more emotional, okay. I would say. So, you know, I think we kind of balance each other out a little bit in that. I will say that I feel like, when Jonathan and I first met, he was way more closed off to this kind of stuff. And just really was like, it's, he's like, I don't care what you believe in. You do your things, but I want no part of that. No. Oh. And now, you know, he's buying his own tarot deck. So I'm just going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> hey, what tarot deck was it? Well, my favorite tarot deck. I have I have two now. Um, I, I, I do have a Crowley Thoth deck that's interesting, but I have uh, purchased the Magician Longs to See Tarot, which is the, the tarot deck that came out when they did the third season of Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it, all the artist twin is based on the show Twin Peaks. Um, they, they added uh, they added two cards. They added uh, the the writer, which is um, Mark Frost, and then the director, which is of course um, David Lynch. And it, it it is it is very it has been very illuminating to 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 do. Uh, I I've started doing three card readings for myself when I'm making choices about things. It gives me an idea of where my head is on some stuff. Yeah. Um. And and like the the artist super important. If, if you've not seen it, check it out. It is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um. The uh. And it's super interesting. And that's that's what uh Chris called the documentary about where did the road goes? Magicians long to see. I didn't realize it came from Twin Peaks. Oh, oh yeah, awesome! I kept is, forgetting is to ask to him where he that, came up. By the way, huh? Is there a way to see that somewhere? By the way, the, like I'm, I'm probably going to make that available for patrons first. Cool. So just for free, like patrons will be able to watch it. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to get it on streaming services or anything like that. It's kind of overwhelming at the moment. Um, but there'll also be hard copies available. Awesome. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I like the I like Curly's Toth deck. Um, I like some of the changes he made to it, the way he interpreted things. Uh, the, I don't know, you know, and I don't always, I've always been in that mind, like, why does this stuff work? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure some of it's interpretation that, that we have a sense of things, but sometimes it's really uncanny how accurate a tarot reading will be about the future. And I'm just like, what, what is going on there? It used to be that when I would, I would shuffle the cards and I'd start you know, going across the back of them, you know, like going through card, card and I'd get a flash of red, like in my vision. Mm. And I'd, put, I'd be like, okay, that card. And it doesn't, it's, again, this is one of those things that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but those readings would be extremely accurate. So I don't know if there was some unconscious part of me that somehow knew which card it was, or if something was, you know, being like this card. I mean, what, what's been your, both of yours experiences using tarot? Well, I'm I'm super still super new into this. I my whole life I've been curious about it, and interested in it, but I, I just have had these blocks because of all the things we've already been talking about. Yeah. So you know, I'm 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 still learning what the like the kind of traditional meanings are. And I think you should know a general idea of what the traditional things are, so you can know what you feel 
things are because mm-hmm. everyone's gonna is gonna have their own take. At least you should. Um, that's my opinion. Yeah, uh, which is worth exactly as much as anybody else's opinion. <laughs> um, but that's where that's where I am with it. So I'm still I'm still learning. It's it's been a, a really interesting process. She she's more knowledgeable than me for sure. I I do read tarot cards, but I connect more with oracle cards. Um, so kind of my craziest experience with oracle cards is when I was contemplating leaving my marriage. Um, I was walking into my office and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a reading. And like, as I'm walking in, a deck falls off of like a deck of cards falls off of my bookshelf. Like I hadn't touched it. I was like a little ways away. So it wasn't like I knocked into it or anything like that. So it falls off the shelf. And so I pick up and the question I had in my mind was like, is my marriage over basically? Mm. And so I pick up the deck. I just like cut it. Like I just like split it in half. And the card that was on the bottom that I saw immediately was a yes card. So in this deck, there's a yes and a no card. Mm. They very rarely come out. Very, very rarely. So to me, that was like, oh, here's here's your answer. And um, shortly after that, you know, I had, like I I shared before, I'd moved back in with my parents. I kind of always had the sense of you're going to go move in with grandma and you're going to take care of your grandmother. And so it was like getting to the time where like we all know grandma should not be alone anymore. I think like, like we had just like put her dog down. Like there was even more reason for me to be there, Yeah. but I was hesitant because it was like taking on this huge responsibility of, you know, being a caregiver. And so I picked that same deck and I was going to do a reading and the card that I picked was the grandmother card (laughs) (laughs) in that deck. And I'm like, okay, so that is my deck. It is, uh, Rebecca Campbell's work your light Oracle deck, I believe is the name of it. Um, so that is kind of my deck whenever I have like a major life decision to make. That's that the deck sense. that I use. Yeah. All right. Well, we're out of time. We can continue this conversation in the Patreon, but um, tell people where they can find you. Most podcast aggregators, actually, uh, we, we, we actually host through Spotify and then it, we're also on um, like Apple. And I think that. Uh, we're definitely on Audible. I, I think that Google's podcast is actually going away soon, but oh, we're it? there for the time that they're still there. Hmm. And we're then on you can YouTube. Also, yep, on, on YouTube. You can search uh, Strange Stories of Secret and Skeptic. And our website is secretandskepticpodcast.com, which where is where you'll also find our blog. Okay. All right. What kind of stuff do you have in the blog? Uh, so we actually... Uh, we, weekly, we're, we're posting weekly, and we kind of are taking turns writing things. Most of mine have been recent book reviews. Um, okay. You know, did one about like uh, Mac Tony's Script of Terrestrials. That book's great, by the way. If mm-hmm. anybody who's interested in any of this stuff, they've not read that. They're doing themselves a disservice. Um, Brady's is more, it been more uh, thought pieces and stuff. Recently, we, we did some stuff about uh, some recent cult documentaries we watched. Um, just did stuff along these lines that just struck our striker thoughts. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for coming on and talking about all this stuff. And uh, like I said, we'll continue this in the Patreon. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to take a moment here to give a shout out to all of my Patreons, because without you, this show would not be possible. And a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 
Stephen St. George, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Anne Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Matt in Delaware, The Esoteric Book Club Podcast, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Perry Peters, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhardt, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very much. All right, we did do a Patreon segment for this show. And I can tell you now the next two shows will all be about the Seth material and Jane Roberts from a few different angles. It's, uh, I think it'll be uh, very interesting to everyone who's been asking me when we're going to do a show on Seth. Hey, it's happening uh, the beginning of 2024, finally. All right. So um, I want to give a special shout out to Matt in Delaware, who somehow fell off the $10 plus uh, Patreon list. He was, I mean, he was still on it. I just somehow missed his name and I apologize for that, Matt. Um, thank you for giving me a heads up about that. I also want to thank the Esoteric Book Club podcast for uh, jumping up to the $10 level. Currently, you can watch the, uh, auto, the, the, um, yep. The documentary, Chris Ernst, made about me and where did the road go? If you are a $10 or above level Patreon, that is the only place that is currently available. So if you want to check that out, you can always check, you know, subscribe and watch it and unsubscribe if you want. But you do get a lot of cool stuff every month. Even at the $3 level, you get uh, almost everything and uh, numerous extra pieces of show per month. Also, a special thanks to John from New Hampshire for the nice card and donation. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much, John. And John also asks uh, or says maybe one of these days you could go on Radio Mysterioso. And uh, I've been on Radio Mysterioso at least twice. You can find it on the Where Did the Road Go site. Um, February 1st, 2016, I think, was the show I did with just him. And that can be found, if you look under, uh, in the archive, I think it's under Soraya on other shows, which is by no means complete, but there's like a two and a half hour interview on there. If you just search for Radio Mysterioso on the site, that will come up. There was also a round table I was a part of, if I'm remembering right. Um, let's see here. Yeah. So you fill ufology round table, uh, with Michael Hughes and Joshua Cutchin. And that was from October 4th, 2016. So I have been on there twice. Uh, well worth checking out. They were both interesting shows. 
and both you can find on wheretotheroadgo.com. So a listener uh, named Chris sent me some of his music uh, for airplay, both on The Last Exit and on this show. And uh, he has a new album, and it's called The Beast's Understanding of Death. And it's pretty damn good. And uh, this is a solo project, and it goes under the name Anorex, A-E-N-O-R-E-X. And I've decided to pick a song called The Animal's Understanding of Nothingness. It's all instrumental and pretty damn good. So here you go to take you out, and I'll see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.